Our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Matthew 7, 12 through 14, this is the word of Almighty God. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Lord God, please, I pray, open your word to us, fill us with your spirit, teach us, grow us, be magnified in us, help us honor you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Which do you want to be? Gracious or faithful? Yeah, for many people, that's a dilemma. But for Jesus, it's not. Nobody in the Bible spoke more blistering words of truth. Nobody in the Bible showed more tenderness and compassion. Jesus had it figured out. Now, for the past few months, in our culture, we've seen a few presentations of Jesus in the public sphere, haven't we? Again, we, we've talked about this a little bit. It's, it's funny how often our Sunday school growth class, how often it ties together with what God's got for us in his word. If you're missing those classes, you're missing good things. But we talked a little bit about the fact that there is the He Gets Us ad campaign. You guys have seen these things, right? A couple of you, you know? There's also, though, the presence of Christians on social media platforms. Have you seen any of those? And in those presentations, we will see things that are right and we will see things that fall short. Thinking about He Gets Us or some of the other popular evangel evangelistic presentations of Jesus. They tend to highlight things that are true or true-ish about Jesus from a particular angle. There's much made in these campaigns of the tenderness, the gentleness, the understanding, the compassion of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, is it good for people to know that those things are true of the Savior, that he's tender and gentle and gracious and compassionate? Yeah, that's good. But shift to the social media presentation of some Christians. We find an emphasis on the wrath of God, the coming judgment, the need for the nation to repent, and the need for every single person to find salvation before it's too late. Those two are true and necessary, right? The problem is, well, there's a problem when things are false. We'll talk about that sometime later. But there's a problem when only part of the truth is told. If you only see Jesus as the guy who gets us, as the sweet-hearted man who laughs with us and cries with us and was mistreated like us, then you fail to see significant elements of the gospel. If, however, you only see Jesus as wrathful towards sin and ready to drop the hammer on people who don't repent, you've only painted a partial picture. Today, 
we have the opportunity to spend a moment with Jesus that I believe will challenge us. For some of us, this moment is going to challenge us to be kinder, more gracious, more loving in how we speak and how we act. You think we need some of that? For some, we're going to be challenged by Jesus toward boldness and honesty in our presentation of the Savior. The text we're picking up here is at the conclusion or near the conclusion of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there we have recorded an example of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God and the lives of kingdom citizens. Jesus begins in chapter 5 by laying out for us eight identifying marks of citizens of the kingdom of God. Do you know what those are? Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those are marks of those who are part of the kingdom of God. The Savior told us that people like that are going to impact the world around them like salt and light, but they will remain fully faithful to the word of Almighty God. Also in Matthew 5, Jesus challenged the religious people of his day not to think they can ignore the spirit of God's law by finding legal loopholes. So, for example, he says, a hateful person may not be committing physical murder, but they're still sinning in the murder family. Similarly, a lustful person or a person who ditches their spouse so they can pick up somebody else even if they get the proper paperwork signed, sins in the adultery family. Jesus warns against being dishonest with your vows or being cruel and vengeful toward your enemies. And the standard Jesus gives us at the end of Matthew 5 is the perfection of God, which is a, perf- is a standard I think you know you can't meet. So we learn that kingdom citizens need the grace of Almighty God to save us and the Spirit of God to change us. Matthew 6, Jesus speaks of how we are to give, pray, forgive, and fast to the glory of God. He reminds us that citizens of God's kingdom have a focus on heaven and an eye to the glory of the Almighty. Kingdom citizens trust in the Lord's provision, seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Chapter 7, Jesus challenges his followers not to judge harshly, but to first examine ourselves before we go after the sins of others. Now, Jesus was not telling us that it's wrong to say that a thing is good or that a thing is evil, but he is making sure that we do not do so from an attitude of personal self-righteousness. Then, bless you. You're very welcome. In the paragraph just before our text for today, Jesus called on kingdom citizens to pray, believing God is a good father who cares about and hears his children. Now, as we move into the passage that, I, that we have today, I want you to be prepared to find two main points. These are the points that Jesus is going to use to transition from the meat of the Sermon on the Mount to its conclusion. And as he gets ready to wrap up, 
He's going to call his followers both to love and to truth. And I would suggest to you that love and truth are things we need to look at closely. And we need to go into this asking the Lord, God, which do I need more in my life? More love, more truth. Which do I need more in my presentation of of the kingdom of God? Because many people veer off the road and drive into a ditch on one side of the road or the other side, right? Do we have ditches by the roads in Vegas like we did back in Illinois? I don't know. I don't look. Well, you get the idea though, right? You guys can figure this one out. One ditch that you could drive off into is lovelessness, heartlessness, meanness. You guys ever see somebody that seems like they've driven off that ditch even while they're holding the Bible? Another ditch is so emotionally sweet that it ceases to contain the truth. You ever see anybody drive off into that ditch? We want to be a people who are faithful citizens of God's kingdom, faithful followers of Jesus, faithful to love and truth just as our Savior is. Now, as we get started... I want to remind you of an important fact. If you hear what I'm about to open for us as law and law only, you're going to miss the point of the scriptures. None of us is saved by being more truthful or being more loving. Isn't it funny how what Jason read for us out of the London Confession just taught us this principle, didn't it? You can't be good enough. You can't work your way to God. You surely cannot do enough good works that other people can get in because you went over the top. That's super arrogation, by the way. Gotta love that word. No, our standing before God is based solely on God's grace given us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I'm not here gonna tell you to do better or be better to be saved. Instead, what I'm after this morning for us is the fruit of salvation because those who know Jesus will be changed by Jesus. And here, we want to see some of what that change looks like. But if you are hearing me and you don't yet know Jesus, these standards, and you could pray to God that these standards will show you how much you need God's grace. You need grace that can be yours through faith alone in Jesus. So point number one, ready? Love your neighbor. How about that for a point? Love your neighbor. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. These words of Jesus are often called what? What? The golden rule. Very good. Some historians believe that the title of these comes from the fact that the Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius Severus Alexander, he reigned from 222 to 235. You guys remember him, right? Come on, homeschoolers. He had those words inscribed in gold on the wall of his chamber. It's funny, though, the emperor, he wasn't a believer, but he saw those words as a golden guide for any person's life. And by the way, because those words 
include the moral law of God, and the moral law of God applies to all people regardless of whether they have faith or not, he was actually right. First, as we look at this famous passage, I want you to notice the word so at the beginning. See the word so there? Jesus is drawing a conclusion with these words. The Savior has given multiple illustrations in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of love in the life of a believer. We don't assume that the golden rule appears in a vacuum. The golden rule is a summary of rightly living life among others as as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then notice how positive the words of Jesus are here. The Savior says to his people, you are to actively do to others what you want others to do for you. This is not a passive command. The passive command would be, don't be mean. Don't be harsh. But no, this is a positive command. You are to do something good. You see, almost every world religion out there and every philosophy out there will instruct people, do not do to others what you hate. That's normal. The world gets that. Jesus flips the script and he calls us to actively seek to do for others the things we would want. You guys understand, don't you, that there's a big difference in a call not to do harm and a call for you to do somebody good? There's a big difference in a call not to hurt somebody and in a call to help somebody. Jesus says his kingdom citizens, if they want to summarize how to live as kingdom citizens, will do to others what they wish others would do to or toward them. Now let's stop and think. Put your, put your brain in gear, in case you already checked out on me here. How do you want other people to treat you? How do you want others to speak to you? How do you want others to speak about you? How do you want others to handle the things that you say or the mistakes that you make? How do you want others to respond when you're hurting, confused, needy, or sick? Let me throw out some examples. We're going to do a little little chatting illustration. I want you to imagine that you hear something negative about somebody. It could be a major ministry that somebody has written about on the internet. There's a few of those out there right now. It might be somebody you know here in the church that Somebody's gossiping about. What is your natural response? I want you to apply the golden rule here and think about it. How would you like people to respond to you if you were the one being talked about? Would you want them to just pile on with their opinions? Or would you want them to start by giving you the benefit of the doubt? Because you're a sweetheart. By the way, say that you're actually guilty of doing something dumb. Have you ever been guilty of doing something dumb? No. Do you want people at that moment to write you off as useless from now on? Or perhaps would you want them to seek as Scripture commands to help you repent and restore you gently to faithful service? 
Now, understand, by the way, I'm, I'm not suggesting there's no such thing as a disqualifying sin that would prevent somebody from serving in ministry. That's not the point here, right? Abusive pastors, immoral leaders, people guilty of public and damaging sin, they may have a very high price to pay, right? Could be loss of job, could be loss of reputation. Those are often the right consequences for somebody falling off a ministry platform. I don't mean this platform, by the way, but... I'm not suggesting a pastor that leaves his wife and runs off with some woman in the church ought to be put back in the pulpit somewhere. That's not the point. But go back and think about treating others how you want to be treated. If something on the internet isn't your business. Now, let, let me point something out to you. This is important, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of winging it here for a second, but I think you'll get this. Do you understand that not everything on the internet is your business? Think about that for a second. There are things that are put out there that I don't need to know. There are things that are put out there about people, churches, groups that I don't need to know. If something on the net is not your business, like if you're not part of the problem or the solution, think twice, maybe think three times or even four times before you feel the need to share your opinion and pile on top of it. Imagine it was your church that somebody's got a problem with the way that they're behaving. Don't you think if it were our church that you would first want people to trust the elders of the church to handle the situation? That, they would want, that, that you would want them to assume the best long before they started airing the dirty laundry of whoever has a conflict with us? Treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, let's say it's something being said in your living room about somebody else. You might try saying to the negative speaker, hey, I understand from what you're saying that you've got a problem with this person. I want to be a part of the solution. So let's go talk with them. And let's work this out instead of simply talking negatively about them and what they've done. Maybe there's more going on here than you understand or I understand. So let's seek to love them the way we want to be loved, even when we need to be confronted. You know what that is, friends? That's being a peacemaker. That, of course, is a mark of being a kingdom citizen. Let me give you another example, maybe not so negative. Over the past couple months, have you guys noticed there's been a lot of sickness in the church? You all are a bunch of of sickos. Yeah. There's been some COVID. Who's coughing right when I'm talking about this? Good night. All right, all right, bless you. There's been some COVID, not her. There's been cold. There's been flu. And it's hit our households. Now, church member, ask yourself, how do you want to be treated when you're sick? And I want you to think simply about this. How many of you like it when somebody brings a meal over when nobody in the house feels like cooking? Kelly says it's the best thing ever. She may be exaggerating, but it is good, right? 
Would you all agree that's good? All right. If you would want to be loved on like that, ask yourself this. Do you love others like that? Now, let me give you, again, I'm, I'm getting in your kitchen for a moment here, literally. Assuming, well, somebody must be taking care of that family over there, is not you loving people the way you want to be loved. Would you agree with that? When you're in need, do you want people to assume somebody's got you so that nobody gets you? Because it happens. By the way, this would be a great spot for our fellowship groups. I haven't really assigned this to our fellowship group leaders, but this would be a great point for me to say, if you know somebody in your fellowship group is sick, you've got a whole cluster of families that are already uniting around food anyway. Bring them something. For heaven's sake. Now, here's some more counsel for you because I'm playing pet peeves right now. Is it okay if I do this? Do you guys indulge me? If you know somebody's sick, You know the wife's sick, especially, because she's the one that does the cooking. In my house, anyway. This is just a word of advice, okay? And by the way, I've had people do this for me. I'm not dogging on you here, but I want to help. Don't reach out to somebody saying, let me know if you need something. Let me ask you why. Why is it not the wisest thing to say to somebody, hey, just tell me if you need something? Say it out loud. She said, because we won't. How many of you have had somebody say, let me know if you need something? How many of you honestly then say, yes, I need this? You don't do it, do you? So let's not start with that one. Let people, you you don't let people know in general if you need something. So here's what you might try. Reach out and say, what can I bring you? Or maybe if you're out, And I've seen my wife do this, by the way. I'm at Costco. What can I bring you from here? Is that different than tell me if you need something? Yeah. I'd like to provide you a meal. What do you like? When is a good day? Do you see the difference? You might say, I'd like to take your kids to the park so you can get some rest. Some of y'all with little ones would be like, oh my gosh. Thank you. (laughs) Friends, think about the way you want to be loved when you're in need and love other people like that. Now, that was just me kind of spitballing some ideas. And I'm not going to try to over-illustrate this because eventually I'm going to be, you know, just giving you my own opinions and pet peeves. But can I ask you to do this, church? Take some time to think through how can I better love people in the church the way I want to be loved in the church? Would that not be a great conversation over a table with your fellowship group? That would be a great discussion. How can we do better loving people the way we want to be loved? Or, Or maybe that's something you could talk about with your family. What does it look like to do to others what I would want done to me? Now, Jesus says that this principle, the golden rule, this is the law and the prophets. What God has commanded in Scripture regarding how we love other people, it is encapsulated by the golden rule. Think about the Ten Commandments for just a moment. 
the Sabbath commandment's purpose, one is to remember God. But if you look at it in Deuteronomy, you know what the purpose for the Sabbath commandment is? Let your workers rest. Children are to respect their parents. That is a way to to treat others the way you want to be treated. We are to protect others' lives and marriages and property and reputation. That's what the Ten Commandments are about toward the end. And we want that done for us by others too. The law of God, if you're honest and you're not messing with the law of God to reshape it for your own purposes, the law of God will lead you to love other people. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the reason I suggest that the first point is to love your neighbor with the golden rule, it's right here. The golden rule, Jesus said, is the law and the prophets. Then chapter 22, Jesus says the call to love God and love your neighbor summarizes the law and the prophets. So, Christian who wants to live to the glory of God, do you love others? Are you loving others the way you would want to be loved? Does it show in what you do in the local church? Does it show in how you speak at home or how you post things online? Does it show in how gracious you are toward people who have failed? Does it show in how you welcome people who are new? Look to the word. See the call to love your neighbor and do to others what you would have others do to you. Now, someone might say to me, Travis, this is very squishy. This is very emo. This is very permissive. Are you about to suggest to me, Pastor Travis, that the Christian life never calls for repentance? Are we just going to drive off the road into a lovey-dovey ditch of happy little unicorns, marshmallows, and rainbows where nobody ever calls anybody to change? Is that what you're doing? Let me ask you, do you guys think that I do that? No. And I think Jesus even anticipates that objection, which leads us to the second point for today. Point number two, follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the, way is wa- the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who, are, who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In so many ways, the lost world around us likes the golden rule. You know that, right? They can't keep it, they can't live it, but they think they like it. Even the Roman emperor who had those words inscribed in gold on his wall, he wasn't a believer. He just liked the principle. Now, I want to say this to you with absolute clarity. No human being you know will ever be able to obey the commands of God, including the golden rule, well enough to be at peace with God. Why? Because the law of God, should we try to live by the law of God to make our way to God, demands perfect Personal, perpetual obedience. How many of you think you can do some perfect, personal, perpetual obedience? No. None of us can live up to the glory of God. None of us can be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. 
The golden rule summarizes how people who have been forgiven by God should treat others. But the golden rule has nothing to do with how you are made into a child of God in the first place. Neither is the golden rule all about sweet words and lollipops. If I'm going to treat somebody the way that I want to be treated, I'm not going to be cruel. Because I don't like it when people are mean to me. But if I'm going to treat somebody the way I want to be treated, I will with love warn them when they're in danger. If you're driving down a road and a bridge is out, you want somebody to put up a sign to tell you not to proceed, correct? If you're about to eat a poisonous mushroom, you want somebody who will love you enough to tell you, don't eat mushrooms, they're nasty. Or at least to keep you from eating that one. Sorry, my opinion got into that. Jesus, after telling us all about loving others and treating them the way we want to be treated, Jesus here speaks one of the sternest, scariest warnings you will ever hear about getting right with God. If we had the golden rule earlier, maybe we can call this next part the golden way. Jesus illustrates our situation with two gates, two paths, two destinations. One set is very bad, One set is very good. And every person in the world is connected to one or the other of these. Let's begin with the fact that Jesus gives us all a command. Enter. That's an imperative statement. You and I, all of humanity, is told by the Son of God that we are supposed to do something. We can obey it or disobey it. But we cannot escape the fact that this is commanded. We are to enter the kingdom of God. There is only one choice, one way, a narrow gate. And there's no such thing as a non-choice. You either choose to enter or you don't. Now all of a sudden, we're beginning to see that Jesus, when sharing the golden rule, was not sharing with humanity a, a free pass to think however you want to think or to live however you want to live. He's not telling you just to assume that you're okay with God. You want to hear an unpopular message for today? An un-unpopular message for today? Jesus said, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction What do you got to conclude from that, folks? There is such a thing as destruction. Entering into destruction is easy. Entering into destruction will be the majority move of society. It's the natural bent of mankind. What is the way to destruction? The way to destruction is any way that lives in rebellion against God and refuses to turn from sin and come to Christ for mercy. The way's broad because all humanity begins guilty. We start off in Adam, represented by Adam's rebellion. We continue on infected by sin with a nature opposed to God. We, in our very cores, naturally choose against God. It's our bent. It's the default setting. 
If God leaves us to ourselves, we run from God and we demand to be our own masters. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that rebellion look like? It's got many forms. Because the way is wide, it's going to have lots of options, right? I'll give you an example. One form of rebellion against God that leads to destruction is to simply pretend that God is not there. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him, God, because whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. Some people act as though there's no God to whom we answer. They embrace their own wisdom. They embrace their own desires. They refuse to see the evidence of God that is all around them. They are on the path to destruction. Some people believe, okay, there's some sort of divine power, but they refuse to accept who he is. They choose to ignore the word of God and they redefine their deity based on their own minds. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is holy. God's ways are so much greater than ours that we cannot fathom his greatness. So when a sinful person assumes that God is like him, God begs to differ. Psalm 50 verse 21, God says, These things you have done and I've been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you. And lay the charge before you. It is a massive mistake to assume that God is like you. A person walking the path to destruction will think that he or she can say what God is. That's deadly. The path that leads to destruction is wide because it includes people simply choosing to live according to their own standards. Romans 1 talks about God in judgment giving people over to their own evil desires. The people walking the path of destruction redefine what it means to follow God. They redefine what it means to be a man or a woman or to be married or to worship and so much more. There's another side of the broad gate to destruction though. It's the way that suggests that if the world's full of folks doing bad things, the way to God's kingdom is to be the folks doing good things. That is not Jesus' message either. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
Jesus is not saying that you've got to obey a bunch of rules better than other people so you can make it into the kingdom. In point of fact, obeying rules, being good enough, that's another entry into the broad road that leads to destruction. None of us can be good enough, but it is a tempting distraction from the true path, and some people embrace it with gusto. The way of destruction is wide because it's the natural path people want to walk. One of my biggest struggles with things like the He Gets Us campaign is that it tends to let people think that Jesus thinks like them. Again, I'm not saying the folks behind the campaign aren't trying to point people to the true Jesus. I think a lot of them are really trying to do that. But the presentation itself lists, it risks leaving the broad gate to destruction open by allowing people to see Jesus as one of them instead of also seeing Jesus as the holy God and the only way anyone gets to salvation. As they strive to make Jesus relatable, perhaps even more relatable than the Bible does, they say things about Jesus that are just not true or which are woefully inadequate to give somebody a true understanding of the gospel. Now, on the other hand, one of the flaws of some churches, they're not like the popular campaigns, but some churches communicate to people, whether they mean to or not, that Jesus, that the way to Jesus is through your obedience to commands first. Some churches pretty much preach the message, if you embrace our politics and avoid our pet peeves and give to our programs and attend our services, you're in. That is sub-gospel, folks. Some folks distort the gospel because they're just plain mean to the lost. They don't treat others the way they want to be treated. They distort the gospel by stripping it of love and grace. Jesus says, for the gate is narrow, And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In comparison to the natural human tendency to redefine God and redefine morality as whatever we want, and in contrast with those who think they can behave well enough to get into God's kingdom, the true way to salvation, it's hard, it's narrow, and it's found by few. Why is the way narrow? Why is it hard? It's not narrow and hard because it's telling you how to behave. It's narrow and hard because it goes, everything, it goes against everything your nature suggests. It's the way that understands that God is holy, not like any of our natural personal definitions. God is holy. God is loving. God is just. God will judge all sin. And none of us, not one of us, can be good enough to impress God or to work our way into God's favor. God is also merciful and God is gracious and God chose to make a way, one single way through which he would save his people. That way is a narrow gate into a narrow path. How narrow is it? It's as narrow as one single person. It's as narrow as the cross. The only way to be right with God is not by ignoring him, redefining him, relating to him. The way to God is not by being good enough. 
The only way to find life and mercy from God is through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is God the Son. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's kind. Yes, to risk the phrase, he gets us. But that doesn't mean that he accepts our sinful rebellion. It means he understands us. He knows if we are going to have life, we've got to have him give it to us. Jesus lived a totally perfect life in every respect, tempted as we are yet without sin. And he died to pay the price for the sins of God's people. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death once and for all. Do you want the mercy of God? Enter the narrow gate. Believe in Jesus. Let go of embracing the control of your life. Let go of embracing the sin we all naturally love. Don't try to work your way to God. Just trust Jesus. He died to save his people. He lives even now. Entrust yourself, your soul to him, resting on him and his finished work, asking him to rescue you. It doesn't come naturally. In fact, it only comes when God changes our hearts, and that's why it's the narrow way. Believe in Jesus and you will follow the Lord on the narrow golden way. Then, once you're on that narrow way by grace through faith in Christ, you can live out the golden rule, loving others to the glory of the God who saved you. Christians, I asked you to be ready to examine yourselves today. And I want you to continue to examine yourselves. Which do you need to emphasize more in your life? Is it the love of neighbor that we talked about in the golden rule? Doing to others what you actually would want them to do to you instead of assuming it's all fine? Is it the honest warning and truth-telling of the golden way? Do you need to get over some cowardice and tell the truth? Brothers and sisters, may we embrace both. May we speak the truth in love. May we be the sweetest, most gracious, most honest, most biblical, reformed church you have ever seen. I want you to pray with me. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful that you have done everything necessary for my soul to be saved. I pray today that you will help me to be a person who trusts in Jesus, who has entered by the narrow way, and who will then live to your glory, loving others the way I want to be loved. Help us to be kind and caring, faithful to the word, resting in Jesus. If there's any soul here who has not given themselves to you, I pray that today they will. And where there are believers who need to repent, I pray that they'll repent. Be glorified in your church. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.